and welcome to the latest edition of the SEO Nick podcast. Uh, today we're going to be talking buying and selling websites with the one of the founding partners at Centurica, Justin Gilchrist. Uh, how are you doing today, Justin? Hey, I'm really good, thank you. Thank you for having me on. My, absolutely, my pleasure. Um, I've been seeing your name pop up all over the place. I know you guys just put a book out um, covering the entire process that you guys go through. With uh, I think there's a lot of really detailed case studies in there. Um, on just all the experience that you guys have had in the sort of the transaction advisory space and the, and the due diligence process um, for a lot of the advisory and acquisition work that you guys are doing. Would you mind telling us a little bit about the book? Yeah, absolutely. So the whole idea with the book was if you're a buyer and you're sort of still quite new to the idea of buying websites or buying internet businesses, um, or even if you're a buyer that's kind of had some experience and you're just looking for, uh, you know, kind of a guide just to get your, your best practices straight, the idea with the book is it takes you from start to finish through the entire process and just gives you all the best practice that we've picked up on doing deals for ourselves and analyzing deals for, I think, near to like four or 500 different clients now to date. So it's really a kind of best practice guide, but it's told in a way that's, I hope, entertaining um, and just kind of makes the subject a little bit easier to, to digest and easy to learn. Can you tell me a little bit more about some of the data that's in there? It's like, what, like if, I, so if, I buy, if I buy the book um, to get started, just to get my head wrapped around sort of the, the steps and the process I should be taking when I'm out there uh, evaluating potential websites or web businesses to buy, what, what's the book going to give me directly, I guess, that you know, I may not be able to find elsewhere on the Internet? Sure. I mean, the whole idea with the book is it is taking you through the process start to finish, but one of the key things that I sort of try to stress in the book is you've got to know why you're doing this first of all right so you get some people who are buying a site because they are maybe they're like tired with their day job um maybe they just want a change maybe they just want to not have to turn up into the office every uh you know every day and they just want something that is theirs they want something that is a profitable business but something that has the flexibility that an online business has. And for those kind of guys, um, you know, we sort of talk through the strategy you need and we give you advice on the type of sites you should be buying in order to help you sort of fulfill that goal. But then on the other side, we have some people who are buying internet businesses as a way to supplement their existing business. So, I mean, you're a, a huge SEO guy. I'm sure you'll know that traffic is getting more and more expensive to purchase. Um, one good trick is just to buy a site that already has good organic rankings but maybe isn't making that much money because the owner hasn't figured out what to do with those visitors or hasn't figured out the most effective thing to do with those visitors um, and use that site as part of your traffic acquisition strategy. So the whole idea um, and what we try and teach in the book is working out, first of all, what you want out of this and then showing you what the best route to get that is, whether that be buying something to complement what you already have or buying something which will be a business in itself to get you to your end goal. Sounds really useful. Um, talking a little bit more about that actually segues really, really nicely into my first question, which is, in your opinion, how, how would you say the website acquisition landscape has changed in the past five years? This is one of those subjects that every time I go to a conference, we end up arguing about. Um, I mean, it's it, it's been crazy. It was like the wild, wild west sort of five, six years ago. And the problem is you had a lot of sites on the upper end. And when I talk about the upper end, I'm generally referring to the kind of the middle market for what we do, which is sites typically between 50,000 and 2 million. 
Um, the lower end is anything kind of below 50,000 and the upper end is anything above 2 million. So in terms of the, the sort of lower and the middle market, what you had was a situation where it, this concept sort of, uh, you know, it, I wouldn't say became mainstream, but a lot of people became aware of the fact that they could buy an established website or an established internet business. And you kind of had this fake boom that happened. Now, inconsequently, you just had crazy valuations and crazy prices. So you had people unfortunately buying brand new sites with little value to them for ridiculous amounts of money. While at the same time, you had people who had established businesses with, you know, sort of great traffic profiles. They had a lot of good repeat customers and they were selling these businesses for crazy prices and crazy valuations simply because they just didn't know better. So a lot of that has now stabilized to some extent. And what we're seeing is valuations of online businesses slowly creeping up. So now you kind of your average, I'd say, uh, e-commerce or content site um, that you're going to pick up for between 50k and 2 million. You're usually talking a valuation of around two to three times annual net profits, but that is increasing and it's increasing steadily year on year. And at this stage, we don't really know if this is a bubble or we don't know if it's going to stop at any point. But right now, it looks healthy. I think that's going to continue for probably the next two to three years at least. Interesting. So in your experience, e-commerce sites tend to be, the valuation tends to come in as a multiplier on the profits, not the actual operating revenues. Always on the profits. I mean, you, you could look at it as the valuation on the revenues. It, ultimately, it's the price. Um, but we always work the price back to a multiple of net profit. It's more important with e-commerce, where obviously with e-commerce, it's, you know, I'll give you an example. If you're using paid traffic, anyone can grab an e-commerce store and end up selling a $10 product for $9 and make a hell of a lot of revenue doing that. And they can spend $15 to acquire that visitor and make even more revenue doing that. But then the business is completely worthless, right? It's, yeah, they're making a lot of revenue because they're selling the product off the margin. Um, so that's why with e-commerce, it's really important that it's about profit rather than revenue because you need to factor in how good is this site's campaigns or how good is their paid customer acquisition or more so how good is the business as a whole? You know, is the owner buying products at the right price and are they acquiring customers at the right price and are they ultimately selling them to make a, to make a decent profit? So, yeah, it's always about profit. That's very, very interesting. We've... Um we went out. We, we've got some from my e-commerce company. We, we got an offer actually back in March from a much bigger, much much bigger safety company, and uh, I think I'm, I'm very happy to now report that they the offer that they presented to us was based on a multiplier of our top line, um, not the bottom line. Um, so uh, I might I might try to make I might try to make sure that this this information doesn't get out to the, the general public. I mean, <laughs> can I get super geeky for a second and just go back Absolutely. a little bit? Absolutely. I mean, where, where the uh, I'm talking about the Wild West days and sort of going back 2000 and maybe 2006, 2007, you had a lot of, and I say websites as opposed to businesses, but you had a lot of websites being sold at multiples of revenue simply because sites back then typically didn't have much to them. Like there were really few working parts. So if you imagine the average website being sold was usually something that was being sold on a forum. It was maybe an AdSense site. So, you know, your only expense really was like a few dollars a year on um, domain renewals and then maybe a few extra dollars on hosting. And yeah. it was nowhere near as sophisticated as it is now. So you're not talking about the owner having to, you know, we're not uh, accommodating for the expenses of creating content, for example, or we're not talking about paid acquisition. So pretty much your revenue was usually around the same as your profit. 
and that's where the idea originally of valuing websites on revenue came from. But I think what we have nowadays, we've got these like really complicated beasts of websites where you've got paid acquisition, you've got web apps that you subscribe to, you've got customer support costs, you've got outsourced fulfillment, distribution. I think now, you know, if you sound like you've got an incredible deal and if you could send that buyer my way, um, I've got a lot of sites on my But, um, yeah, I think you'd be very lucky to find someone that will pay you on top line um, simply because you don't know what's going on below that, right? But, I mean, it could yeah. be, for them, it could be an acquisition. So they might just be interested in your customer base and to them, how you run the business is inconsequential because they ultimately just want the, you guys have built up a really strong brand online. Um, and I think they probably want that. They want access to your customers, which is more of an asset purchase than the business purchase, whereas they need to know what your bottom line is. Yeah, and, and our, our scenario definitely was a little bit of a, uh, a unicorn scenario because um, it was really, besides the customer list sort of bolting onto theirs, it was also, uh, they were very interested in the technology that we built up. Um, so we're ours, okay. our entire our entire technology infrastructure is completely homegrown. Um, that's cool. Uh, yeah, so that's, that's an interesting one, though, but that's, uh, I just need to make sure they don't find out about that bottom line multiplier thing. Um, <laughs> so we just move on to this podcast and never get to us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we just won't pop. I'll, I'll, I'll blackmail you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, so uh, in terms of, this actually dovetails perfectly um, into the next question. Uh, what are some of the most common mistakes that you see sellers making um, when, you know, as they're bringing their sites to market uh, to try to, to try to you know, get them uh acquired. Sure. I mean, I think two of the most common mistakes. The first one is trusting the only broker they spoke to. Like, I always tell people to shop around. Um, I mean, uh, we're friends with a lot of brokers and we work with a lot of brokers in Centurica and we know more than anything else that there are good brokers and there are bad brokers. So if you're selling a website typically on the 20,000, then your only option really is a marketplace. So you're going to go somewhere where you can list it online and you do the whole process yourself. But if you're selling above 20,000, then you've probably got the option of working with a broker who will help you find a buyer and they'll help you kind of navigate the entire sale process relatively safely. But there are bad brokers as well as there are good brokers. So what I advise people to do more than anything else is avoid the mistake of um, not doing their research and possibly signing up with a broker who promises them that they've got a buyer for their site and tells them that if they just sign this uh, 999-year exclusivity contract that you know they'll, they'll have their site sold by the morning and then this buyer strangely disappears once they've got them locked in. It's a common trick and it's not a very nice one, um, but people can always avoid that by shopping around and just seeing what all the other guys have to say or if they ever want, they can always send us an email at Centurico and we'll give them sort of a bit of impartial advice based on what their site is and how much they're looking to achieve. And I think probably the other huge mistake is maybe just selling at the wrong time. So a lot of sellers could probably get a much better valuation by just doing a little bit of housekeeping, a little bit of tidying up before they list the site. And a lot of these things are sort of basic things that might take them, you know, a week as a, a, an end-to-end project. But it, we're talking about adding on, in some cases, maybe an extra five figures onto the final price that they get. Wow. Okay. Talk us through a little bit of... of sort of your due diligence process or the due diligence process at Centurica. Um, and again, if you can, just sort of uh, for the ease of people listening, um, you know, sort of highlight what the common pitfalls are of, you know, people on the other end of the table. So if I'm, if I'm a buyer and I'm going through the due diligence process, are there, are there sort of 
specific elements that you guys pay a lot of extra attention to? Yeah, I mean, we've got the things that are always for us, like the most common fails. And I always say to people, due diligence follows the Pareto principle. So there are, um, you know, a handful of things that you can look at that if you had no time or no experience and you only could learn a few things, I could show you these things to learn, that would pick up 80% of the problems that you find on, on websites that you buy. So a really big one is people tend not to look at converting traffic and also where traffic's coming from. So if you take uh, an AdSense site, for example, uh, well, actually, that's a bad example. If you take a, an e-commerce site, for example, um, you're going to have different streams of traffic coming in. So you might have traffic from Google Search, organic. You might have traffic from PPC. You might have traffic from social campaigns, organic social. What you really need to know is which one of these traffic streams are responsible for conversions and what is the risk of one of those particular streams disappearing. So, for example, organic search is usually something that converts quite well because if people are specifically searching for your product, then you know there's a, you know, a high likelihood that they're going to want to buy. So what I advise people to do is look at the percentage of traffic that comes from organic search, look at the percentage that converts, and then just realize that organic search traffic is really, really risky, especially if they're buying a site and they don't know what the owner's been doing for the last two or three years yeah. because they've been doing some gray hat stuff. As I'm sure you know <laughs> more than anyone else, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of like the Wild West in SEO as well, where everybody has had different strategies and tactics. And some of these owners, it's not that they're dishonest. It's just that what was acceptable in 2007 is kind of not acceptable now. And I remember it was perfectly fine to do like blog comment, quote unquote, spamming or forum profile link building. Yep. You know, and no one would even think that was a, a negative thing. But now if you've got loads of forum profile links, you are going to run the risk that maybe in two, three years, you know, you, you, your site could drop down in the rankings, maybe even in six months. No one knows what Google and their uh, crazy algorithm updates are going to do. So I think looking at where the converting traffic comes from and assessing what is the likelihood of that traffic disappearing is probably a really important thing. A lot of people turn their nose up at paid traffic and think, you know, I'd rather go for something with a lot of organic traffic because it's free. But I love paid traffic. Paid traffic is scalable, it's reliable, and you know as long as you're paying Google, you've always got that relationship and you know what they're yep. going to do and they know what you're going to do and it's healthy. Um, so, yeah, I'd say that's, looking at converting traffic is probably the most important. I think that's a fantastic point. That um, that also raises another sort of interesting scenario that I ran into um, just a couple months ago. Me and uh, me and my partner at IFTF were looking to buy any other e-commerce business. And, you know, had great rankings, great organic traffic, good revenue. And then we started going through the backlink profile and uh, it was, it was, it was very, very authoritative, very, like they had a lot of really strong links coming in. And then the more we dug into it, the more we started to realize the pattern um, between some of the anchor text variation and ended up finding that, you know, 35 or so of the linking root domains that were sending the majority of the juice were uh, a link network. You know, a private link network that was probably owned or operated by the owners, um, you know, yeah. by the owners of the site or by you know somebody that they were paying to place those links. And that was, yeah. you know, we ended up backing out of the deal because the riskiest part there is we buy the site and there's no guarantee that those links remain in place, um, especially if those are you know rent rented links or or links that are temporary, you know, they're replaced by the the builder of the site. So, uh, I mean, can there's I, definitely can I some nuances. Sure, absolutely. I mean, from your point of view, because this is one that we, it's a bit of a dilemma. If you see a site that's got links coming from a link network, um, 
would you still buy that site if you knew the link network, if you knew it was a, an independent sort of third-party link network? I mean, purely knowing that links are coming from a link network, would that instantly put you off as a, a sort of SEO professional? Or would no, you I, that is? I, I would just need to have a conversation with the owner of the link network. I mean, as long as I could talk to that person, you know, if it was the same person, I was like, hey, you know, you're selling me a site that is obviously being propped up by links from your link network. You know, are those links going to remain uh, in effect? And I'd like to get that added into the agreement, you know, for a minimum of a 12-month term or something like that. Or let's work out an annual renewal or a monthly rental rate. Um, or if they're not and they're from somebody else and it's somebody, you know, a third-party link, just talking to them and saying, hey, were these links paid for permanently? Are these on a monthly rental? Um I would I would just have my head wrapped around you know what the at least the potential scenarios are for those links to remain intact. Yes, good advice. Um, what's the number one thing that you look for when when buying an internet business? I mean, I look for something where I understand the business. Like, there's so many businesses that people buy, and they would not be a customer of that business. As in, they understand it makes money because they see the bottom line and they see the figures but there's just something in there they really don't understand. And I think if you don't understand why someone would buy from that company, if you wouldn't potentially be a customer, or you at least can't understand why someone would be a customer, and I'd really advise people against even buying it in the first place. But I think if you're looking for a more sort of harder, factual thing that I look for, for me, I usually look for converting paid campaigns because that's so rare. I mean, a lot of people will have PPC to a site but you'll find that most sellers don't actually know their true numbers. So they might be running PPC, and because they're getting an overall gross profit, they think that actually they've got a profitable paid campaign, but what they don't realize is actually it's a lot of organic that's propping that up. You know, like the yeah, yeah. in it. Maybe they're not tracking things properly. Maybe that they think the sales are coming from PPC, but actually the sales are coming from other methods. Um, or a common one is where people type in the name of the site because they've seen it elsewhere and then click on the ads that comes up for it and then make a purchase. <laughs> and those people are going to make a purchase anyway, but they're like, hey, look, our paid campaign's working. And it's not until you split it out and you see which keywords are converting, you realize that you know, the, the seller's got no idea where they're spending their money. So I, I look for businesses where they do have a profitable paid campaign and that paid campaign is scalable. It's something I can grow because then I know I can get, you know, I can increase my return on investment from day one just by scaling that campaign and looking for new places to run it. So when you when you are out uh, sort of surveying the market for new new businesses to acquire, do you have any? Can you give us any tips or any sort of? Uh, I don't expect you to like reveal any secrets, but where do you find sort of the gems that are for sale? I mean, the one thing that I know that we we do when we like when we do we've been doing a lot of acquisitions for traffic, like purely for like we just we want to find sites that are old, aged, not updated, but they've got uh, a base of organic traffic, whether it's ten thousand visits a month, fifty thousand visits a month, whatever. Um, we want to find something where it's, all the organic is stable and we want to go and approach the site that's not for sale, try to acquire it and get the site and all the content uh, so we can absorb the traffic and the rankings. Um, I mean, that, that obviously is very tedious. Um, and, and, you know, there, there's also like our conversion rate is very low because we're approaching a lot of people whose sites are not for sale and asking them to sell their sites. But, you know, um, there's got to be a better way to be doing that. I do a presentation on this and I did, did a really interesting experiment where I have a, a small call center here which I use for something else but I actually took one person from that and tried to set this up as a system so the whole idea is we were kind of going out and sending out emails cold 
Um, I won't use the, the spam word, but technically, you know, we were sending <laughs> enough emails out in order to test the numbers. Um, and then when responses came back in, we tried different strategies. We tried different approaches with our outbound emails, but also when we got responses coming back in, we tried different approaches to sort of see what would work. And one of the most effective things I found was just getting on the phone with a potential seller because that usually separates the um, the men from the boys, so to speak. You know who's serious if they're willing to get on the phone. The people who are just too phone shy will never go through with a purchase you uh, yeah. nine times out of ten. But I was finding that you get a, a conversion rate, like the best result we ever had was a less than 1% chance of getting a deal at fair price. And when I say fair price, I mean a price that you could probably just go to a broker and find something listed at. Because the minute we found something that was below value, I can guarantee you when they think that there's some like, you know, honey, I've got some British guy on the phone and he's telling me that my website's worth some money. The first thing they're going to do is shop around. And as soon as they shop around, they'll find someone willing to buy it for a lot more, whether that be a broker or they'll go onto a marketplace. And you always end up just losing those deals that are at the best prices. So the ones at fair price are the ones that you end up buying. But the difference is you've had to do a shitload of work. Sorry for saying the S word. Um, you oh, whatever, man. I swear all the time. And well, the phone tip is huge. That, that's very valuable. Um, um, but I think you know, outside of um, sort of cold calling and sort of cold recruiting, I mean, we have something called Market Watch on Centurica. Um, and the idea with that is we just aggregate listings from all of the brokers, clean them up a little bit, and just put them in one place. So you click through, you go directly through to the broker. And it's similar to Flip Filter, but it's just for more kind of grown up sites. And then obviously Flip Filter for marketplace sites, which are usually younger, sort of smaller opportunities. I went to uh, that was I, those were all sort of the questions that I had put together. Uh, those little ones that were that were uh, pressing in my mind. But I went I went to Twitter um, just this morning and just asked you know any like my followers like hey you know I'm I'm hopping on with uh, a very smart website broker. Is anybody having questions? I actually got some really good questions. Um, so I'm gonna run through these if that's okay. Sure. It's only I got four I got four of them, but they're they're, they're all pretty smart questions. They're pretty smart people, so hopefully you'll appreciate these. So uh Tom Tom Roberts asked, uh other than Quantcast, Alexa, and SEM Rush, is there any other software I should be using uh to look at potential traffic volumes and sources? I would say no. And I'd also say to take a lot of concern and caution looking at I mean, I'm assuming he's doing this for prospecting as in he hasn't already spoke to the owner and he hasn't got access to their analytics. Um, the difficulty with things like SEMrush is it can be useful, but as I'm sure you'll probably know, it's often inaccurate. So it causes you to miss a lot of the bigger opportunities and it causes you to think a lot of smaller opportunities are, are bigger than they should be. Um, and the same for Quantcast, Quantcast and Alexa. I mean, you've got Compete, which is trying to be more accurate than any of those, but still fails when you've got sites that are on like HTTPS or sites that have a sort of login. So it's a, a really tricky one, and I wish I had a, a better answer than that, but I just think it's really difficult to accurately get a, a sort of idea of um, you know, what traffic sites are receiving without speaking to the other first. How do you feel about like similar web? Like that's what I've been using recently. Somebody on Twitter actually helped me out with it because I was I was just trying to get a, a dial in, and what I did is I used a handful of my own sites that I have Google Analytics data on, and similar web was the only one that I could I found that would estimate traffic at least most of the time within a ten percent swing. I mean, I've looked at similar web in the past, but I've had the opposite. Uh, I've had about like ninety percent of things I looked at were like radically out, and about ten percent were quite accurate. 
And I think sites in certain IP ranges and sites in sort of certain, you know, kind of industries where they follow a conventional pattern, especially sites that rely on content, um, they work well with tools like SimilarWeb. I think SimilarWeb is one of the better, definitely one of the better tools, but it really does depend on the site that you're looking at. What I tend to do, I'm assuming the, the gentleman who asked the question is looking at this from a prospecting point of view. Um, I tend to use tools like um, Who's Hosting This and Built With, who collect a lot of information about the site itself, about the technology that's been used. So, for example, I'll try and find e-commerce sites because I know e-commerce sites are a pretty easy ones to negotiate on because there's usually very little moving parts other than net profit. So, you know, you've mm -hmm. usually not got anything by the way of IP. Um, you know that they're not doing anything particularly complex. It's going to be built on a common platform. So with e-commerce site owners, what I'll usually do is I'll send them an email and I'll say to them, hey, um, you know, I buy e-commerce sites in the flowers niche, for example. Um, we pay a multiple between two and three times, depending on your business. If you're interested, let me know. And you, it's just so straightforward. You just get the best response rates from that. No, thank you for that. Um, the next question comes from Rob Toledo. Uh, he said, uh, he asked, I hear valuations thrown around between as little as 12 months up to 36 months of revenue. Uh, what's your take on it? Depends on which bracket you're looking in. So that sort of separation I made earlier on, you could probably go a little bit further down and you could say it's kind of the sub-20K and the above-20K. Um, he's generally around the mark, but I'd say valuations go far higher than 36 months. I'm assuming he means months. Um, so, you know, on the sort of the lower end, you're talking about something that's not very established, something that's maybe less than a year old, um, something where you've got a lot more risk and a lot less predictability, then it's not uncommon to have a valuation of around 12 to 15 months. And people give sites like Flipper a really hard time. And, you know, they sort of claim that a lot of the sites on there are, are probably not the quality they'd want to buy, which to some extent I agree. But I think one good thing that Flipper does is it usually has fair valuations. And you notice most of the sites on Flipper are valued at around kind of 10 to 15 months. And, you know, in some respects, that's what they're worth. They're not the kind of developed opportunities that you're typically buying from a broker. But then from a broker, you're typically paying between maybe two years and three years. Um, I think in the website buyer's report that we published, the average was about 2.8 or 2.7 times net. Interesting. And then John Doherty actually responded to that question and asked about, you know, how is goodwill taken into consideration? Um, goodwill in terms of like a customer base or a customer list, for example? I, I believe so, yes. Again, it's a difficult one, and this is why valuations in this industry, there's very little formality. So outside of this industry, when you're talking about offline businesses, we've got far more sophisticated ways of coming to a valuation. We can use things like discounted cash flows. Um, you know, We can understand what the risk is, and we've got a lot of comparables to base data on. But with the web, the reason why I call it the wild, wild west sometimes is because this is still relatively new. So when it comes to valuing goodwill, some people have a kind of pluck it out of the air figure, like they'll pay 10 cents per email address. Personally, I don't think that's a very good idea. Um, I think starting with the multiples method is your best bet. So you look at, uh, if you get the website buyer's report, you've got your different categories of internet business, and it will show you what your average sort of transaction valuations went for. I'll start with that as a guide and then look at what the assets are or what the positive points of that business are um, to kind of adjust your valuation up or down. But just know that no matter how scientific you think you're being, um, there's never going to be a really rigorously scientific way of doing this with a web business because it's just a lot of variables that 
don't make sense in the in the conventional way. Got it. Martin Harris asked, what about buying up non-trademarked brand domains and approaching the brand for sale? Personally, it's not a strategy I like. So about five, six years ago, keyword domains were really important when Google valued exact match domains. But now if you're buying, you know, sort of, bestonlineflowers.com and you're trying to sell it to uh, Zaflora or, uh, sorry, Interflora or another flower company, my guess is they probably would have had their strategy by way of domains down, otherwise that domain is not going to be that important to them. Um, I think now it's Google's put more of an importance on the brand, um, so having these sort of alternate domains or having these subdomains is just not as important as it used to be, but I'm not a, a domain or an SEO expert, so I think maybe other people would have a different opinion on that. Yeah, I've, been, I've actually had some experience with the, on the negative side of that where uh, we we had some information um, about some airlines uh, at my holdings company, and so we picked up the name. Uh, we picked up a handful of domains that were the names of two two airlines. We smelled a merger coming, uh, so we bought these these domains, which included both of the airlines' uh, trademarks in them. Uh, and then, as the merger has been being finalized, it hasn't even been announced yet. We just we got a very nasty we got a nasty gram in the mail that was like, "Hey, you need to forfeit these domains to us immediately, or we're going to sue you for a trademark infringement." We weren't even using them; we had just registered them. In the UK, we are we are scared of the US legal system because I spoke to people. I was in Vegas a few weeks ago, and I'm talking to people who have got sued for like taking out the trash the wrong way. <laughs> yeah, I think you guys have got a crazy, crazy legal system over there that it fills me with dread and fear. So I'm very <laughs> risk adverse when it comes to doing anything that I don't know if they can sue me here in the UK, they probably can. Um but I just play it extremely safe, which is why a lot of my advice will be the most kind of risk adverse advice you'll get. But yeah, I see the I see the dilemma. <laughs> And I got one final question for you. Uh, it comes from, it comes from uh, a fellow UK uh, buddy of mine over there, um, James Agate uh, from Skyrocket SEO. Oh, asks, uh, uh, do you think including undeveloped premium domains in the sale of a website helps or, or just complicates? Um, no, I think it, it massively helps because you've got to remember the average person buying your website is buying it with fresh eyes. So all that kind of passion and enthusiasm that you had when you first started the project that everyone inevitably loses a little bit of, especially if they're selling the you know the, the business or the site, that new buyer has all of that passion and they're looking at your site and they're looking for opportunities. They're looking for potential. And I think sometimes if you've got premium domains in that, what you're signaling to them is that there is just far much more potential than you've currently realized. And I think that's always a positive, especially when I spoke to buyers and they've kind of mentioned the things they like about a purchase. Uh, one of those is being, oh, and it, by the way, it's got all of these domains because they're thinking, worst case scenario, you know, at least I've got something I can sell here. So absolutely, I think, uh, including premium domains, may increase the value in some cases significantly more than you'd get for selling those domains separately, but you probably just have to test it and see. That, that makes a ton of sense. I never thought about it that way. Um, I'm sure he'll be very happy to hear that. Um, well, that's all the questions I got for you, uh, Justin. I really can't thank you enough. This has been tremendously helpful, and I think uh, I think uh, my readers and listeners, uh, more so the prior than the latter, because uh, I've only I've only done like three podcasts, but I think people are really going to enjoy this and, and get a lot out of it. So, thank you again, man. I will talk to you soon. No, I appreciate it. It's been good speaking to you. Bye.